So has God ever asked you to do something sounds crazy to you? Um, not crazy in a mentally unstable kind of way, but crazy in the, uh, that's just not the way the world works kind of way. Um, this is what happened to Naaman in our Old Testament reading. Naaman was a very successful man in the ways of the world. He had accumulated wealth and privilege and power. He was a commander of armies. He was a friend of kings. And for all his status, his wealth, his power, um, he could not heal himself of leprosy. Leprosy is a rotting disease that completely disfigures the person who has it until it slowly kills them. This, the waves of the world could not save him from, but he hears that there is a way that he might be healed, and so he knows what to do. Naaman, a man of the world, starts working the system. He goes to the most influential person he knows, the king of Syria, who also understands how the system works, loads up Naaman with money and a letter and gifts and clothing and sends him straight to the king of Israel because this is how the world works. Sadly, the king of Israel is caught up in the way that the world works too because when he gets this letter and sees Naaman and this money and wealth, he freaks out. He doesn't have the power to cure leprosy any more than any other of the ways of the world does, but he is not aware, he's not connected fully that there is, he knows about God, he says, I'm not God who can heal, but he thinks this is a political power move. He's that caught up in the ways of the world. But thank God Elisha the prophet is there. He knows the ways of God and he's been paying attention to God and he says, no, go ahead, send him to me. God has a plan to help Naaman understand who God is and how God's ways are. They are not the ways of the world. So Naaman comes to Elisha's house with all the trappings of his success. He's got his entourage, he's got uh, money and the gifts, and he has chariots and horses. You know, in scripture, uh, the term chariots and horses is used to describe actually the things that man can trust in for uh, their safety and security other than the Lord. For instance, in Psalm 20, it says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So here comes Naaman in all his earthly glory with literal chariots and horses up to the house of Elisha. And... Elisha doesn't even come out to greet him. Elisha sends a lowly servant with very simple instructions. Just go to the Jordan River, wash seven times, and you'll be healed. The important part of this exchange is Naaman's reaction. A simple instruction is given to him, the very thing he's come to receive, and Naaman is incensed. His heart reaction shows what his heart was truly trusting in, which was his power, his wealth, and his status. He's angry and insulted that he was snubbed by Elisha. The great man of God didn't even come out and wave his hands around. <laughs> I love that that's in scripture. He didn't even wave his hands around. <laughs> no magical waving, right? Instead, he's supposed to go dip himself in this dirty river of this lesser country of Israel? Our rivers are better than this. Ah, 
a simple invitation from the Lord that Naaman thinks is crazy. It shows that his wealth and his power and his privilege are what he's trusting in and what he expected would give him the best of the best, not simple, humble solutions. We're the exact same way. How we react to an unexpected invitation from God can reveal to us and to others where our hearts are truly putting their trust, whether we are trusting in God or in something else. So pay attention when God invites you to something and you think, excuse me, what? Personally, um, God has given me such an invitation recently um, that I should do something that goes against my understanding of the way the world works. I have an invitation to disappoint someone that I care about. Now, that, that's not the way the work, world works for me. I, I get along in the world by making sure I don't disappoint people that I care about. Oof, there's my heart. That's the way of the world in my heart. That's not God's way. God has a different invitation for me. See, God was inviting Naaman into a way of humility and lowliness. Notice that everywhere in Naaman's story, Naaman has to listen to servants. It's an Israelite servant girl who tells him about Elisha in the first place. And then when he gets to Elisha's home, it's a servant from Elijah who gives him the instructions, not even Elisha himself. And then after Naaman has his heart leakage, he's so angry, it's his servants that calm him down and tell him to try the prophet's idea out anyway. It's the voices of those beneath him that are the ones that will lead him to healing. See, our God is always about humbling the proud and lifting up the humble. He's always trying to show us that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You know, as I was meditating um, on this passage, spe specifically about Naaman, I thought of another great military commander in the Bible who had great power and influence. In Luke 7, there is a centurion who Jesus never even meets. Very similar to Naaman in status and power and privilege and, and in a good name. He has a servant who is sick, not himself, but a servant who is sick, which already tells you a little bit how different the centurion is from Naaman. The centurion's worried about his servant and wants him healed. So he goes to his influential people, the Jewish elders, and said, would you put in a good, good word for me with Jesus? Similar to Naaman, right? Going to the king of Syria. But Jesus, as Jesus goes to the centurion, he sends another servant to say to Jesus, I am not worthy for you to come into my home. Just say the word and I'll be healed. He's ready for the simple instruction. The centurion's heart is open to the ways of God, and Jesus declares he's never seen someone with such faith. Naaman, on the other hand, is nothing but full of pride. Think about it. He almost didn't receive the very healing he had come for. He almost turned around and went home and let his leprosy just, just kill him eventually. But on that day, he does humble himself and he goes to the river and as he washes, he's not only physically healed, he learns. He learns that his wealth and his power and his influence have 
no part in this healing because Elijah had refused all of the wealth he had brought and he didn't even come out to see him. So there's no way that Naaman even influenced Elisha, right? Elisha didn't see any of the wealth, any of the chariots and horses. And when, when a Naaman is at the river, it's just him there with God. It was God's choice to heal him, a free gift offered to Naaman that he could choose to receive or reject. And doesn't that sound like our God? So all he had to do was something that sounded crazy to him. He had to humble himself, follow some simple instructions from a prophet, and listen to the advice of the servants around him. So interestingly, I saw in our gospel reading a similar message. Now the gospel reading this week is Jesus, what we call sending the 72. And sometimes we are so familiar with passages that we forget sort of just how awe-inspiring they truly are. This passage follows right on what we heard Deacon Steve preach on last week, which is that Jesus had just been rejected by a Samaritan village. And so he decides now he's going to send out an advance team, <laughs> do a little recon, and send everybody out into the cities that he's planning on uh, going into to prepare for his arrival there. So he gathers 72 of his followers up with him, and he pairs them up, and he sends them into the different towns that Jesus plans to go into. That's 36 different places. Talk about going on tour, right? Jesus had a plan. He, he, was, he was moving. And then he tells these 72 people who agree to do this for him, these workers of the harvest, these are, uh, if they accept the invitation to do this, here are your specific instructions. Ready? I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. I'm sending you out vulnerable and humble. Carry no money, no knapsack, no sandals, meaning no change of clothes, no shoes. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, bless it. And if that's a person of peace, they get to keep it. And if not, it comes back to you. Remain in that house and let them feed you. <laughs> Don't go from house to house. Stay whatever house you end up in. That's where you're going to stay. And then, by the way, while you're there, heal the sick while you're there, and uh, proclaim to them that the kingdom of God has come near. And then if the town rejects you, I'll go ahead and say the same thing, the kingdom of God has come near, but now it has seriously ominous overtones. Remember, this is the passage that comes straight after the one last week when Jesus is noting all the people who did not commit to following him, right? The ones that wanted to stay in their own be bed, bury their own parents, say goodbye to their friends and family. These people were committed to the ways of the world more than they were committed to the ways of God. So these 72 people were willing to say yes to this invitation of Jesus to head into a strange town with very strange instructions. How many people do you think it took for Jesus to ask who went, I'm sorry, what? What are you asking us to do? I mean, even the 72 who went, don't you think as they were walking along the road, they thought, this is nuts. What are we doing? I mean, let's take this to modern day. How many of you travel without any luggage? Right? Into a strange place. You always take provision for yourself. Naaman, in the Old Testament, a very powerful, strong military commander. He traveled with an entourage and horsemen and, and, and servants, right? And letters of introduction. 
All these 72 had to go out with was their partner, their charge from Jesus, and their trust in him. Talk about a crazy adventure, huh? But here's what's amazing. To those ones who said yes, they were shocked by what happened. They came back with joy at what they had experienced. They were so happy they had gone. And they told Jesus, get this, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They had no idea what true power they were actually walking in. Because they went out so vulnerably, they had to trust God that much for everything. And Jesus' response when they come back was, yeah, right. Satan took a hit. And you know what? You've been acting in incredible spiritual power. And that is great. But you know where the real joy comes from? Having your names written in the book of life. Jesus is saying that the way of God is truly powerful and even full of joy. But even that pales in comparison to simply belonging to God now and forever. You know, Paul lands on that point at the end of Galatians in our New Testament reading. He notes that whatever way you invest or you sow, uh, that is the way that you will reap. So you can reap into the ways of the world, like Naaman, or you can reap into the ways of God, like the 72. Either way, that's what you're going to get in the world. If you want to spend your life amassing a great name for yourself or power or wealth or privilege or let's face it just trusting in your own strength to protect yourself and get what it is you need go for it you'll you'll reap that but you'll also get with it the corruption that comes with it all see the ways of the world don't last they're only for this time and this season their power looks really, really impressive to us. But in the spiritual realm, that power is nothing. It's ineffectual. It can't even heal. But if you sow into God, into the Holy Spirit, into learning God's ways, you'll reap not only spiritual power and healing, you'll reap eternal life. So then Paul sums up the entire letter to the Galatians after writing in his own large hand. I just love that. Hey, look, it's me. I'm writing in my own large hand. He sums up the whole letter in which he's been writing about that these people have been desiring that the Galatian church become circumcised, and he wants none of that. And so what he says is, hey, those people who want you Galatian believers to be circumcised, they're only wanting that for their own protection, they don't want to be persecuted. They are trying to save themselves. And their other reason for this is they want to boast about having you as a follower. And you know what? That makes them think that they'll have more influence over not just you, but other people. Because boasting is all about trying to get others to think highly of yourself. He's basically saying, these people are following the ways of the world. And Paul, who has great influence over the Galatian church, says, you know, there's only one thing I ever want to boast about, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And it's because of the cross, Paul says, that he doesn't give a rip anymore about the ways of the world. He actually says, the world has been crucified to me and I to it. That relationship is dead. No pull for him at all, either way. And it's because of the cross and it's because he's a new creation in Christ and that's all that counts. So let me ask you again. Has God ever asked you to do something that sounds crazy to you? Something that seemed to go against all the ways you know the world clearly works? You know, we all have a lot of pressure on us at different times in our lives to trust in ourselves and to succeed in the world's ways. And that can involve temptations to make a lot of money just for ourselves, for our own security and safety, uh, making the right connections in order to get ahead, accumulating all the right accomplishments, working our way up the ranks of power, accumulating status and influence, all in an effort to protect ourselves and to get what we want. But what if God has a seemingly crazy invitation for you? An invitation that reveals what your heart is truly trusting in. An invitation that, if accepted, will require you to trust more in God and his power than you ever have before. Perhaps it's an invitation to go a more humble way. Or maybe there's one where you need to listen to the people who you think are beneath you. Or maybe it's an invitation to take a bolder, riskier path, something a bit more vulnerable than you're used to or comfortable with. Or maybe it's simply an invitation to let go of anything in your heart and life that gets in the way of you more deeply accepting God's incredible gift of life and love. So is God asking you to do something crazy? How's your heart responding? And what will it take for you to say, yes? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.